You're listening to the Mini Market Podcast presented by Tellum Sports. Do we clap still? Is that still yeah, thing? Yeah, we're still clap. doing the clap. Wow, he's been off for so long. All right. Three, two, one. That Welcome was back. so clean. <laughs> that, that was so nice. clean. Give <laughs> 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 me good, boys. Give me a good one. We're hot. We're hot. Welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast, where a win is a win is a win. Is Coming a win. off a big 34-28 Vikings OT win in Carolina. It is Dalton with Isaiah and Lucas. Fellas, how we feeling? Lucas, your Vikes got a W. Tell us more. Don't look now. Two in a row, boys. We're rolling. Uh, yeah, win. Win is a win. We talked about the gauntlet uh, and it not looking great. So honestly, some good things, some bad things we'll get into. But win's a win. Start off the gauntlet on the right foot. Can't win them all if you don't win the first one, right? Keep the train rolling. Let me see if you carry the one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on, Lou. You cannot win them all if you don't win the first one. Never a doubt, am I right? Never a doubt. Never. They say Ben don't break. I feel like the Vikings are like that, uh, those wavy men you see at car dealerships, like those tube windsock guys. They're as bendy <laughs> as it gets, but they don't break. Yeah, we are embodied by Gumby. The Vikings are Gumby on defense, especially. Yikes. But let's see. I mean, 34-28, I think you got to go right to Kirk, right? Big win. Kirk leading the game-winning drive in OT. Again, yeah. Again, he he got us down. I was mad. Isaiah tweeted out, Kirk's going to get him into field goal range. I was mad at him. He did get him into field goal range. You are Thank correct. You. I, I mean, so, I didn't say we were going to win the game no, on that. I said it. he's going to get him into field goal range. <laughs> And here's he the did thing, his job. Here's the thing. I edited myself because I was going to type, Kirk's going to get him in. Ain't no way Kirk ain't going to get him in the field goal range. And ain't no way Greg going to miss this kick. <laughs> Thank and God you I edited did that. It. And you know what? <laughs> to be honest, as a guy who predicted the one thing I should have, you should be mad at me for not saying that ain't no way Greg going to miss this kick <laughs> because I'd have been two for two. We didn't have to go through all this stress and overtime. You know what I mean? And then... <sighs> So I'll take that one. Hand up, Skull Nation. My bad. I should have predicted the kick. Hey, win's a win, though. Kirky got it done again when we needed him to. Got two weeks in a row. 33 for 48, 373, three TDs. And yes, you heard it. Zero picks. Dalton, Dalton, as resident hater, what do you have to say, sir? Kirk looked great. I mean, I think the Vikings offense looked great. The Panthers... What their defense was second rated coming into this game, defense second rated NFL yeah. defense had only given up 255 yards a game, and the Vikes kind of walked all over them. So, so nothing but praise for Kirk and the offense this week. Elite uh, work yeah. from Kirk. Honestly, that third quarter they really got got it rolling. Things got turned around big time in the third quarter because mm-hmm. here's a quote from Jonathan Vilma, the color, color analyst from today's game. He said, uh, "It was a third and I think like eight or something like that. It was the play right before the punt block for a touchdown." Kirk had major happy feet and threw a semi-questionable like six-yard pass that maybe probably could have, should have been picked off. Yep. Vilma goes, Kirk Cousins looked like Sam Darnold on that play. And if you watch today's game, you know that that like 
that was an ultimate slight. That's beef. Slap I think Vilma face. and Cousins now have major beef because you cannot compare him to Sam Darnold. And I was worried because he was right. He did look like Sam Darnold on that play. But as Kirk always does, he just composed himself. He found a way to get right and get us into the win column. Yeah, hand up there and Kirk and uh, Sam Darnold. Earlier this year, I wrote a piece about uh, all the free agent quarterbacks, and I had Darnold as a potential guy who would maybe be a cheap option because the Jets were trying to dump him, so whatever. Um, I take that back. I don't ever want him to come into the conversation ever again. Just no. <laughs> think think about this if you're talking about Carolina's defense and how good they've been. They're like, what did you say, second rated coming into today's game? They're doing that with Sam Darnold as their quarterback, who is a turnover machine. The guy cannot stop turning the ball over. So think of how much better they would be if they had, I don't know, Teddy Bridgewater, a dependable, reliable, non-turnover guy leading their offense. They actually might have won this game because Sam Darnold is now 0-15 when he turns the ball over twice, and he did. And there was a moment there when I thought the Vikes, in classic Vikes fashion, were going to break that streak that Sam Darnold had rolling. Oh, and 15 when he has two turnovers. Two turnovers is bad, but it doesn't feel that bad. Uh, So he must just know when to do it. He looked pretty good on that last drive. Yeah. But it was up fourth and 10 from their own four. And and all of a sudden just marches down the field. That was crazy. Like he does just enough where he's going to have like a 15 year NFL career, but Darnold's never going to be a good quarterback. It was just devastating when Patrick Peterson went out. I thought the like the DBs overall played fairly decent, especially Peterson until he went out. And then it was just like, okay, we can attack anyone we want, wherever we want on the field. I don't know. Something just clicked with Darnold there and it was scary. Uh, good thing we won that toss. I don't love our def. I mean, the defensive line was doing pretty well towards the end of the game, but that was sketchy without Peterson. You're right. Like mm-hmm. things fell apart. He must have been talking good shit today because <laughs> uh, it, who was that? Robbie Anderson looked Anderson. like he, dude. He looked like me going across the middle <laughs> in flag football, afraid of everything. Uh, he couldn't catch anything, and then Peterson goes out, and then he start make starts making plays. Peterson wasn't even necessarily guarding him, but I think the shit was being talked so loudly and so broadly about anything and everything that it was in Anderson's head. Uh, So that was a scary moment when he went out. And shouts to Breland trying to get himself back on the island. We'll get to that later, but wow, much better day for him. Oh, yeah. Big day, big day. Let's roll into our first segment. We love our happy crappy happy get in line and now the mini market serving you a happy crappy happy sandwich let's throw it to isaiah what is your happy crappy happy for today Gosh darn, had a heck of a lot of happy today. No, I'm going to be honest. Just one last recap thing on the game. Until the like fourth quarter, boy, I tell you, this was a snoozer. The Vikings have played, I don't know what it is, but they play a kind of boring brand of football. For a team that has been in so many close games, for them to be kind of all boring games, somehow I don't understand it, but I'm not going to complain. Three and three, going to the bye week. Kirk Cousins, best quarterback ever to grace the purple. Sorry, Fran. 
Okay. Whoa. Yikes. <laughs> moving on. Happy, <laughs> crappy, happy. happy. We're moving on to the happy, crappy, happy. I said I just had one thing, so I just said my one thing. Uh, first of all, my happy sense, he's not here to dispute this. I'm going with Dalvin Cook as my first happy, folks. Connor Kern is not here to defame and deface our savior, Dalvin Cook. He had 29 carries for 140 yards and a tutty, baby. He was sweet. They kept saying it on the broadcast, and I think everybody who watches football recognizes this. It's sort of the difference, same difference between Ezekiel Elliott and Pollard on the Cowboys is that they're both quality backs when they get a hole. They both know how to hit the hole hard. Same with Madison and Cook. Like these, Both of these guys are capable, especially when the O-line is blocking well. They're both going to hit the holes. The thing with Cook, as we all know, is he's going to hit it and he's going to get to the second level and he's going to get a little bit more. He's always going to get a little bit more than Alexander Madison does. And we saw that a ton today. Like He just could create a little bit of extra for runs. A big one for me was it was a first down in like the second quarter. They run to the right, big hole, going to be a six-yard run. There's an outside linebacker coming. Dalvin gives him a little stiff arm, turns it into like a 12-yard run. Madison, that's probably a six-yard run, which is solid. And I think that's the point that Connor tries to make all the time is like if your defense or if your O line can block well, you don't need an incredible running back. But it doesn't hurt to have him when you have it, right? So, Dalvin Cook, that's my happy. Felt great about that. And you know what? On a high ankle sprain, them Panthers were lucky. Could have had 165 easy if he's healthy. That's all I'm saying. Um, now we got to go to the crappy. Don't love to do this. Kind of a downer. Bikes had a good game. But I am definitely going with the under two minute defense. If Oof. if the rest of the game overall were Gumby and wacky inflatable arm flailing tube men, at under two minutes we are peanut brittle. We are a thin sliver of ice that you pick up off the sidewalk in early March. The Vikings are a twig or a crisp fall leave on the ground under two minutes. Brutal, 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 brutal. Worst defense in under two minutes. And I don't understand it. They get way too complacent, way too like, you know, you get fourth and 10, you give up a 40-yard throw over the middle. It's it's just like, it seems like they let their foot off the gas at the weirdest times. And it's always under two minutes. It's like, no, like, it's just like in hockey. You got to end periods well. You got to end halves well. You got to, you like have to be more engaged throughout the rest of it. And like, they can't play so soft. They just proven like you can't play that soft. Otherwise, the Vikings defense played awesome today, I thought. So that was my crappy. The under two-minute defense, we are the worst in the league, I think statistically, uh, in terms of points allowed and yards given up. So absolute sieve. Not even a sieve. We're just an empty net. Two hockey references? Must be hockey season. Sorry. Okay. My happy? I did just rag on the defense, but I'm going with my second happy was the D-line. I thought they were pretty active today. Uh, it's, they seemed in, like they were in the backfield quite a bit and it was a lot of the interior rushers were doing big things. And it was a lot of third and longs for the Panthers today, which is when you get like want in there and get them start making moves through the inside. It was kind of fun to see, uh, these, like when we have four pass rushers on the field in a sense, like that is dangerous and they created havoc. I thought, um, our boy Sam Darnold until that last drive was really not comfortable all game. He had, he might just be Sam Darnold has happy feet, but he had happy, happy feet. And I got to give it up to the front four. They looked uh, dangerous. And they had the, the strip sack fumble thing, right? With everything. <laughs> so that's pretty good. 
All right, next in line for the happy, crappy, happy Lou. Give it to us. All righty. My HCH starting off with the happy. Big thing I like today. Off of those turnovers we got, we scored points. Got to get at least three when you get a turnover, and they did that today pretty well. I think we got a touchdown off one as well. Um, so I love to see that change the momentum, huge shift in the game there. Also just love when we can get points anywhere. Um, <clears throat> so way to go boys. Way to go. Oh, crappy. Uh, feels like we can never put a team away, right? We're complete. Felt like we were in control of this game, the whole game, same with the lions and some of these other games. It felt like we're in it. We're in control, but we can't really get that extra play we're not aggressive enough sometimes to get that extra play to to like take them over the top and just put a team away and it it's just like terrifying to know that we're always one score up or they're one play away from tying or leading the ball game like the block punt was a perfect example of that like all right yeah we'll just kick this away our defense has been playing awesome like nope psych touchdown going the other way block punt so then we're down again so yeah um, but you know, bring it back around happy. Um, I think I mentioned it a little bit. The defensive backs, I thought played pretty solid overall. There are a couple penalties. Um, obviously the end was, was a little rough. The end of quarters and a half are, are tough, but, uh, as Ike pointed out astutely, but Bashat Breeland made a play. Oh, hey, first oh. play of the game. Bam. And, um, you know, there were a lot, quite a few drops. Um, obviously that was good for us, but I mean, they weren't like wide open guys. They were like somewhat contested. Like it wasn't like we we're getting just left all over the field. So, um, and I, I think they barely even threw to Patrick Peterson. Like they were scared of him pretty much all day. Um, and Talking once he went out, like shit. I said, everything, yeah, everything kind of fell apart, but, um, the DBs kind of showed out, did well today compared to the at least the, the last few weeks. So way to go. Shout out Bashad Breland on that first interception. That was pretty cool, man. Pretty cool, man. Hey, Lou, I have a question, okay? I got to dissect your first happy and your crappy because they are in contradiction of one another. You commend the team for getting points, even if they're just field goals off turnovers, but then you're wondering why we can't put teams away. If we get touchdowns on that, on the... Breland interception, which we are in prime position to start the game. And then we also settle inside the 10 on our second possession. So that's two straight possessions where we had the ball inside the 10 yard line and didn't get touchdowns. That's how you don't put teams away. True, true. But I, the way I, I guess I was looking at it more was like kind of in the middle of the game, we get a lead and then we just kind of get into a lull. Like we're like fine punting it away or like just not we're not nearly as aggressive and we have these awesome weapons in adam Thielen, justin jefferson dalvin cook and i think that's just kind of what annoys me a little bit and it's just kind of scary because i know one one play can change literally the entire game so that's kind of what i was getting at gotcha you don't love the automatic cruise control that they Mm -hmm. put it into through the middle of the game all right fair enough fair enough Good point though good point yeah to me that comes down from the top like you look at the end of the game where Zimmer chose to punt instead of kick the field goal. Like he, it feels like he's just not playing to lose the whole game. Like he could have mm-hmm. kicked the, what was a 53 yard field goal for Joseph. Like, okay. Yeah, after that, Joseph like missed that. a field goal, but he was three for four at the time. So like, that's not an unreasonable field goal to kick and you hit it. You're up by 11 with under two minutes left or whatever it was like, you're going to win the game. 
to me, Zimmer's just always playing not to lose. He doesn't want to do anything too risky. He's just kind of like, we have a lead. We'll He's try very to park the bus, sit yeah. on the ball. Yep. Taking a double click on that, do you feel like he coaches like that all the time? That's just always been his strategy? Or do you think that that is a product of the hot seat that he might be sitting on? Mm. I feel I'm like sure he's kind of your mind, right? If you're on the hot seat, like there's no way you don't know, you know, you know, you've, you're aware of that. Right. But I don't know. What were you going to say, Lou? I feel like he's kind of always done that with the offense. He gets kind of more aggressive on the defensive side of the ball with, with like sending pressures. But like, I'm just kind of thinking back to like Sam Bradford, Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater. None of these guys were really, it might just be the quarterbacks, but like none of those offenses were really, aggressive offenses in my mind and wasn't it always the news like behind the scenes when we had case keenum as quarterback that zim and keenum did not get along because keenum liked to take shots like take risks i think that that was always sort of the undercurrent and why they ended up probably not bringing keenum back after they had a nice season was zim wanted a more conservative sort of you know go through your progressions and throw to the open guy rather than you know throw it up and let your receiver try to make a play which is what keenum liked to do Teddy B. I Minneapolis miracle. And that's part, and part of the issue, I think, in these last couples of seasons with Zimmer and why he probably is on the hot seat. Because I think I agree with Lucas and actually maybe you now too. It, like it's it's it worked fine when we had guys like Teddy Bridgewater and Case Keenum and you know, like not so great quarterbacks with not as many weapons on the outside as we do right now and a much, much better defense than we do right now. So I, th I could understand that being his style when you rely on your defense, like you're winning games with your defense and your offense is like decent, but just don't, don't blow it. You know, don't turn it over in your own zone and you'll be fine. You'll win games. You'll go to the playoffs. But now, as we've seen when the defense isn't as good, they are, more likely to break than bend sometimes. And your offense has so many weapons and so much money invested into it. You, you can't just keep being the same old Mike Zimmer. You can't keep continuing to be a little bit conservative and honestly a little bit scared at times to take a couple chances. Let your horses run, Mike. I mean, look at that last drive of the game, what Kirk Cousins is capable of. When you just let him play a little bit, he makes great throws all over the field. And it just sometimes feels like he's way too hamstrung and tied up to let it rip. I don't know. Mike Zimmer is coaching for his job, but he might be coaching himself out of his own job. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Ooh. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> And if that didn't make sense, that's more about you than it is about me. You're just going to have to reflect on that, maybe meditate on it. Write it down would be good, too, if you want it to make more sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Quick question. Does anyone have a power pivot page turning play of the game? I do. Let it rip. There were a few options for the power pivot page turning play of the game, especially towards the end of the game. Things got crazy there. I mean, obviously you can talk about if the Panthers win, it's that fourth and 10 from their own four, 40 yards up the middle for sure. But they didn't. 
You also could have said maybe if the Panthers had won, it would have been the blocked punt touchdown. But again, they didn't. Skull. So I'm going with the drive in the third quarter right after the blocked punt. And I have a specific play in mind that turned the tide of the game. And I can see it on his face. I think you know. Lucas knows what I'm talking about. This one goes out to my D2 homie, even though we're D3, whatever. This goes out to the D2 homie. And no, folks, I'm not talking about Adam Thielen. And I do know that he went to Minnesota State Mankato. I'm talking about the other D2 homie on the squad. Augustana University or whatever the fuck it's called. (laughs) CJ Ham, third and two, gets the run, bursts through the hole, puts the absolute foot in the ground, pivots like it's his job, busts like a 20-yard run, gets the offense rolling. We get a big play right after that. We score our next like three possessions. If we don't get that third down right there, I don't really know how this one shakes out, and I don't want to think about it. So my power pivot page turning play of the game pivoted on one great pivot from CJ Ham. Oh, got a little Gus Johnson like there at the end. I like it. Exactly. Exactly what I would have said. Great call. Great play. I have not been able to get around to it yet, but I bet the PA call on that was electric. Guaranteed he, guaranteed he said CJ Ham is loose on that one. And I would allow that. That is a loose scenario, PA. He went for 30. Correction. He went for 30 on third down. He was a he was a tailback in college. He was really good. Tell you what, he looked like a tailback on that one. He hit him with the shoop, shoop, shoop. It was sweet. All right, and then we roll into our Survivor Island. Who are we kicking off the island? Anyone making their way back to the island? Is that them on the horizon? Paddling back to the island? I don't know. Let's get into it. Guys, first, who are we voting off the island this week? Do we have a list of who we voted off in the past? We do. Lay it on the names. We had Brashad Breeland, D.D. Westbrook, Chris Herndon, and Rashad Hill. Tell you what, Lou, Chris Herndon tried to get himself back on the he island. Tried today. to get he back tried really hard quick. to get back on that island. I tell you, he must have found some kelp at the bottom of the ocean a little bit, started stringing it together with some driftwood. He was some paddling his lessons, way back that, yeah. toward that island, got that touchdown. And you know what? Breland might have been on that little piece of driftwood with him. With they're, that pick. they're floating out there. They're mm-hmm. they're on their mm-hmm. way back. I mm-hmm. don't think they're allowed quite yet. One play each, but oh, it's nice been, to see. Yep. They're taking notice. Boys. I'll say they this: they're in the bay. Notice. They're in the bay. I tell you who's not. It's D.D. Westbrook. The guy continues to be an adventure in the punts. Like he bobbles everything and yeah, he's makes scary. just continually bad choices. It's. We'd be better off just like having nobody back there. Everything's a fair catch. All right, Lou, who do you got for your for the island? Uh, yeah, I am actually going back to the roots, the offensive line. Ole Udo had a rough game today. One trips Kirk Cousins mm-hmm. on if he stays on his feet. I think it's a touchdown to Adam Thielen. Kirk 
somehow got back up and almost threw it. To, I think he purposely threw it out of bounds because he didn't he didn't have time. Um, and then I'm pretty sure he had like four penalties or something. Like whenever there was a holding call or something penalty on the offense, he was involved, and it was just it's never good to see that. Mm-hmm. The rest of the O line played pretty darn well, I thought. Um, it was just a bummer because I said, you know, on the broadcast, he had like 50 friends and family there watching him today and he just laid a big one. So sorry, Uli, you're out. So, you know, when you're golfing and the group in front of you is playing kind of slow and you get to the point, you're probably around the seventh, eighth hole where they're going to let you play through because you're kind of on their butts and it's a par five typically when, when groups will let you play through. You got to get up on the tee box with the group that you're telling by playing through that you're better than them. They are going to watch you tee off. And some guys get up into that tee box and they hit a missile. They stripe it. Best drive of the day somehow. The pressure creates diamonds. And that driver head comes through clean. The face perfectly squared. The hips, the shoulders, both on time. Beautiful shot. Best Best drive of the day. And the other three members of the foursome typically hit their worst drives of the day. Hadn't had a slice all week. Mm, here's a little New York slice. You're in the other fairway. Oh, I've never pulled the ball in my life. Here's a little Yankee duty. You're in the woods. Oh, I've been hitting the ball super clean all week, all day. Super clean. Hmm. Topped, rolled it, just barely get to the women's tee box. That's Udo. He had way too many people in the stands for him today, and he could not handle the pressure of, it's not the packed stadium that gets to him, it's the people in the packed stadium. And when they mean a little bit more, it's hard to compose yourself to play a clean game. You know, he's doing a little entertaining last night. He knows he's got a lot of handshakes to give out, a lot of smiles. Good thing they got the win, but I agree, Lou. I think we got to vote him off the island because nobody else had a glaringly bad game. But Udo, I wanted to give him some good graces and toss somebody else off the island just because, but I really couldn't do it. It has to be Udo. Not a lot of O-linemen left on the island. They're starting to form their own little uh, band of merry men in the corner. They're fighting for each other because there aren't too many left. It's a good thing, too, because they'll take up a lot of room on those rafts. (laughs) The food supply running low. All right. And finally, who do we have for this week's MVP? Lucas, start us off again. Yeah, so there were a couple guys that I was uh, considering. Um, The first being Dalvin Cook came back with a fire today. He was awesome. Um, You know, he had 29 carries, 140 yards, and a touchdown. Um, big day for him. Good to see him back being explosive again, especially after getting shut down real early in the game. Um, but I actually am going to nominate Adam Thielen, the other D2 player. Uh, 11 receptions, 126 yards and a touchdown. And uh, that one touchdown he had at the end was really big, really sweet catch to somehow stay in bounds and keep control. So I'm going to have to nominate Adam Thielen. He was all over the place today. Man, I'm feeling you, Lou. I think we are on the same page today. That catch he had where he was like hit, had fallen, his knees had hit the ground, and he still like maintains the composure to catch that ball. I don't understand how he did it. 
Not uh, even a little bobble, just boop. Not even a little bobble. I propose this, Lou. We have a three-man weave today on the pod. A classic three-man weave. I almost want to go three-man weave MVP because I can't distinguish between Kirk Cousins, you named it, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook. I thought they were all three instrumental in the victory today. Cousins was coming up with big throws all over the field on the sec- in the second half. Dalvin Cook set the tone, made it impossible to drop back into coverage. You had to stack the box a little bit. And Adam Thielen just continues to be a third down wizard. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking I'll give it to Thielen, but I almost want to go three-man weave MVP. Well, triple threat. I don't hate it. I mean, they're all on the island. We know that much. Who's king in the castle, though? Ooh. Let's go Thielen. We'll go Thielen. All right. All he right. was great. He was great. Way to go, Adam. Close call, Kirk. Close call, Dalvin. Maybe next time. Keep it up. All right, fellas. Any last Vikings takes to get off your chest before we move on? Got to give one more shout out. KJ Osborne. He's like becoming a new fan favorite. I think he's just really stepped up. We talk about him a lot. Awesome catch. Awesome play to end the game today. Uh, and he had kind of a quiet little, little nice day. Um, you know, I believe he had six. Uh, yeah, here we go. Six receptions for 78 yards and a touchdown. So pretty good day. All in all, way to go. Way to go. All right, I've got something. So I don't like bringing up the kicking situation just because I feel bad for uh, Greg Joseph. You know, he wins it last week for the Vikes. This week, rough week. I feel like a kicker's approval rating, really, it's did you make your last kick? Everyone loves you. If you miss it, everyone hates you. Lou, you brought up a good point last week about how back in the day, 50-yard field goals were a big deal. You were saying, you know, Ryan Longwell hitting a 50-yarder. That was, you know, everyone gets off off their seats and is all hyped up and now 50 is the norm but it feels like the the shorter kicks now are a little more questionable like in like the 40 range those low 40s a little questionable i wonder i i don't have any data to back this up but i just wonder what you guys think do you think now that longer kicks are expected to be made like you need to be able to make 55 56 yards i feel like in sports you know when you have your mechanics for whatever it might be, throwing a baseball, swinging a baseball bat, kicking a football, you want to be consistent. So kickers have built these mechanics to hit like 55, 56, 60-yard field goals. I wonder if it just makes them less consistent at, the, at the, the shorter yardages. And I wonder, would it be better to just say, you know what, hit them from 50 and in, and that's fine with us. Personally, I would take that. Um, I'm sick of watching like miss 37 yarders and extra points, but I think you definitely have a point because it's obviously like last week was one of the worst weeks ever for kickers all across the NFL. Um, and I, I almost wonder if it's like, yeah, if some of like the artistry of kicking is, has been lost because guys are just all, all power now. Like think about like, golf another golf analogy if you're swinging your driver as hard as you can yeah you might pipe one down the middle every every few times but the the miss radius gets a whole lot a whole lot larger when you're when you're ripping it like that so i think you definitely have a point there 
Lou, I was going to say the exact same thing about golf. It's when you go try to golf by yourself, fix your swing, and you get paired up with an old guy, and you know for a fact he's not missing a fairway all day, but he's not hitting it over 200 yards. It's just like the old school way sometimes. It's just easy does her. Um, another comparison, the NBA. The three-point shooting, the mid-range game, the art of the mid-range shooter has sort of been lost in a sense. The percentages of shots taken from there are down and the make percentages are down. Um, and Dalton, actually thinking about this as you bring up this take, I don't know if you guys agree, but I feel like kickers have an insane amount of movement on their balls these days. Like if you look at the kick that uh, if you watch the Jacksonville game, right hit that kick uh, to tie it. It wasn't the one to win it. It was the one to tie it against the Dolphins. And it started out moving way right. Then it came back way left and just snuck in there. That might be a product of the, the angle that they have to come in at to try to kick it as far as they have to try to kick it these days. Because I don't remember there ever being balls moving as much left to right as they do now in the NFL from from the kickers. So you might be onto something there, D. Let's move on. Tick tock, tick tock. Let's talk about it. We had some some good banter off air this week, and we want to talk about some of those topics now. So first, Lou. You saw something in a postseason game, MLB game, about the Astros, a little hype-up video. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'm going to try to get through this. It was pretty sickening, to say the least. But So the uh, they're doing the pregame yesterday for the, uh, the Red Sox-Houston Astros game two of the ALCS. And it was all about the Astros. All they talked about was the Astros and how they've accepted – this villain mentality that everybody hates them, but they're putting them in like this good light that their theme was like, everybody loves a villain. And they're showing these clips of like Carlos Correa and, and um, Jose Altuve talking to the media, like, Oh, you guys need to get your facts straight. And like trying to defend themselves all the way back when all this, this cheating stuff was going down. And they were just like, I, I just don't understand how they're still like putting them up in this, good light like they they cheated their way into a ring like i just i don't i don't get why one they're still talking about it and two why they're talking about it this way why would you like arguably one of the largest scandals in baseball they're promoting it still like i don't know what the heck is going on here it just it made me sick i hate the astros for it i hate just the whole thing and i just i'm sick of seeing it and especially seeing it like this Ike, I know you had some thoughts. Lou, just listening to you say it again got my blood absolutely sweatshirt off boiling. I, I don't understand it. It literally makes no sense to to have a team that cheated as badly and as boldly as they did and to win a World Series because of it and have zero repercussions because of it. None of the players got in any trouble at all. The coach was fired internally to try to take the heat off, but he wasn't like mandated out by like the MLB or did he have to take a year off? That was it. I, I honestly think the biggest cheating scandal in baseball uh, on a team-wide level since like before this was the Black Sox. 
and Quack. they fucking changed their name. They had to become an entire new team. They're now the White Sox because nobody would ever be a fan of that team because they cheated so badly and disgraced the game so completely. And I think part of it is there might be a little hint of the MLB knows this isn't every this might be happening with more teams like they don't want to come down on them with the wrath of God because they know there might be more teams doing this and they don't want to like destroy their own sport from within. That's like the only thing I can think of of why they didn't get more repercussions. Why like Fox is trying to do this thing where they make them feel like somehow the good guys because they're battling through adversity that they created for themselves. It'd be like Jose Canseco trying to get like people to feel bad for him because he chose to take steroids and cheated it makes no sense to me. It's so frustrating. It's so maddening because, and yes, I also think that the MLB loved this Astros team. They loved them because they were like this beautiful homegrown group predict, predicted by Sports Illustrated, Illustrated to win the World Series like in 2017. You know, remember that whole thing where like in like 2014, Sports Illustrated was like, you're 2017 MLB, you know, whatever. We all saw that. And they, they want to hold on to these these characters that they've built up in Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve. They need them. They think they can still be poster children of the MLB. But no, they can't. Carlos Correa is the most annoying dude I've ever fucking seen. He pisses me off so much. So much. I can't stand his stupid face. And I'm a mustache guy. I like mustaches. But his perfectly groomed little son of a bitch mustache makes me so mad to look at. I can't stand it. And Jose Altuve, I think he's still cheating. I legitimately think he's still cheating. If you look at game one, his two-run home run was exactly the same as all of his home runs in the postseason run that they had when they were cheating. It was late in the game, big spot, first pitch. It's always first pitch with Jose Altuve. And I think it's because he's still getting cued off to pitches. He ran right off the field, didn't celebrate, you know, like that same thing when he wouldn't let him touch his jersey because he had the little buzzer going. I legitimately think this guy's still cheating. Like, and it's insane. It's insane that they're getting this treatment from Fox. It, and I, take a breath. Take oh, a breath. You gotta, you gotta chime in because I'm about to go off. I can't. I can't. I think MLB loves this because everyone loves a good villain. The Astros are the villain, and I gotta say, I bet Astros fans love this. <sighs> so much attention. Everyone hates you. It's us against the world. I bet the Astros ownership loves it. They're hoping MLB keeps talking about this this I mean, scandal for publicity. a decade. It's free publicity years after the fact. Oh, and look at us—we're talking about it. It's disgraceful. <laughs> it's disgraceful. It's I gotta say though, I—if the Twins did it, it wouldn't affect me. I'd be hyped up. I'd be loving it. I think when it's your hometown team, I, I think you're like win, baby, win. I think, I think, let's talk about Nelson Cruz, you know? How many times do we talk about him using steroids while he was on the Twins? I, that never came up because he's a Twins guy. He isn't. Never did. Never proven. It's a, it's Lou, a good question. I can't. Yeah, it's a good question, Dalt. If this happened to the Twins, I mean, I think, I mean, a World Series is a World Series, and we have gone through so much pain and suffering through all of our franchises. If we win a championship, yeah, it's. I think I'm going to be a hell of a lot more okay with this than I am 
obviously with the Astros and the Astros weren't a team that I hated. Like I actually kind of really enjoyed watching these young guys just be sick. And now it's obvious. Now it's kind of obvious why they were so good. It was because they knew exactly what pitch was coming. But um, yeah, I mean, if this were the twins, you, know, you, say, you say everyone else was doing it. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's not proven. That was a theory from me. That's not proven. So far, it's just the Astros, and for so a while, I, it was the Red would, Sox. Are you saying you would like renounce the World Series title if if this came out that the Twins had done this instead of the Astros? After all this losing streak to the Yankees, to all this stuff in the playoffs that we can't win a game. All right. When when was it when the Astros actually was it 2017? What year was it? I just want to be right when I talk about this because I think it might have been 2019. 2019? No. Yeah, it was the 2019. I think it was the 2019. It was their second. Okay. World okay. Series. It was when they played the Dodgers. Gotcha. Okay. We'll get it correct. 2019. If I'm an Astros fan in 2019, I'm rooting my tail off. I'm all in. You know, I'm I'm 100. This is my squad. This is my city. This is my team. These are our boys. It'll be our boys forever. Oh, wait. wait, it wasn't 2019. 2019 was when the Nationals beat the Astros. So we're gonna need to start this over. I think it was 2017. Let's look. Was it 2018? It might have been 2018. Might have split the difference there. It was probably a couple of years. 2018 Red Sox beat the Dodgers. It was so it was 2017. Okay, yeah, we, were, okay. we were we were right. So it's 2017. Yeah. You were right. All okay. right. So I'm right always. Okay. 2017, if I'm an Astros fan, I'm rooting my tail off. I'm all in. I'm 100% with this squad, with this team. They're representing me. I'm, I'm rooting for them because you don't know they're cheating. And nobody does at this point besides maybe Joe Kelly, I guess, or whoever thought that they were cheating. Uh, but as I, as I watch Astros fans now root for their team like they didn't do anything wrong or worse embracing the fact that they did cheat it makes like there are signs in the stands of like we don't steal anything but bases or like these just annoying fans that are like this is like h first the world like you should be ashamed of yourself you honestly should be ashamed of yourself if you're still going to be rooting for a team that passionately that you know is full of cheaters, unless you don't have integrity in anything else that you do in your life. Like when I watch an Astros game and I see their rooting ass motherfuckers in the stands, all I see are people who will park in a handicap spot when they're not handicapped. I see people who cut in line at lunch to get the last cheeseburger. I see people who, when you're supposed to do the zipper merge or, you know, when you're going from 394 to 94 and there's one lane, Astros fans are the people who drive way up and cut in at the last second. That's an Astros fan. That's a scumbag. And every time I see them, it makes me so mad. And I haven't been this mad at a team in a long, long time and at a fan base. And so, yeah, no, I would root for the Twins wholeheartedly if in 2020 they go on a world series run and win the world series and if it comes out that they were cheating the entire time in such a blatantly disgusting way i would no longer be a twins fan and it would be it would be uh it would lift my heart completely it would be a weight off my chest off my mind off my soul how do you look somebody in the eye and tell them the truth if you're still an Astros fan at this at this point? If I knew somebody that was an Astros fan in my life, 
they would no longer be in my life because I just can't surround myself with people like that. And so if the twins do that and there's still people hooting and hollering for the twins, not me. I'm a Saints fan. I'm going to Saints game only if the twins the do Saints that. The Saints are an affiliate of the twins. Yeah, but they weren't cheating. They're on their own team, man. Like oh. it's their own their own group. So I'm going to Saints games only if the twins do this. <laughs> I will be dancing in the streets if they win a World Series. But if the next day I find out that they cheated, tearing the banner down. And this brings me to my last point. The NCAA does it right. They know that whatever you do, the fan bases, for the most part, will still probably hang their flags, right? They'll fly their flags, uh, you know, figuratively. The NCAA is all about, we're literally taking your banner down. We are literally taking down your banner because you cheated and you messed with the institution that is whatever this game is. And, you know, if you don't have faith in the system, how can you even enjoy it anymore? I mean, baseball was on the rocks because of the steroid scandal, because people watching after that came out were like, what am I watching anymore? Like they didn't want to watch it because they didn't believe in anything that was happening. It, you no longer have that awe factor when somebody does something good and you know they're cheating. Like you're not impressed by that. You shouldn't be. So the NCAA, double, the NCAA does it right and they should be the governing uh, body for all sports because they would take the banner down. They would do Whoa. what the MLB is too chicken shit to do. They would, they would give them the, they'd give them the death penalty, SMU. They'd throw it right at them. Texas knows all about the death penalty. Give it to them one more time. Astros should no longer be in the league. The Astros should have to do what the Black Sox did. And instead of being the Astros, they're now the Terras because they're grounded, baby. And I mean, I believe a lot of the Black Sox players got banned from Major League Baseball. Banned. I should never have to look at Carlos Correa's stupid mustache again. It's not your time, buddy. Your time is done. Our time is now. Am I, am I, are you guys not agreeing? Am I off the rails right now? Am I going crazy? Uh, saying saying the NCAA nuts? should be the governing body of all major sports is a little bit wild, seeing as they wouldn't let any of their players make, I don't know. That's a whole other issue. I don't want to get into that, but. An institution with a little bit of integrity left. And you, and you wonder some- why America's ripping at the seam. We've lost all faith in institutions because every one of them cheats. If the NCAA is the good guy in your moral book, I would, <laughs> I would love to read a couple chapters in that bad boy. I'm telling you, man, that's how bad things have gotten. Do you trust your local politicians? Do you trust the police? Do you trust the big banks out there in New York? I sure shit don't. The NCAA, that's my rock. That's the constant, right? That's there. my North Star, baby. The NCAA. I no longer trust the MLB. Nope. I don't trust them. They've always favored the Yankees against the Twins. We all know this. And now they're favoring the Astros against everybody else, including the Twins last year. So you guys should be mad as me. And I don't know why you're not. So that's all I'm saying. I'm pissed off. Pissed off. Which actually brings me to another question. This will get off of it because. I can do this all day and nobody as wants to a, listen a to fact, it. As a fact check, I just want to say that the Black Sox scandal, it was the Chicago White Sox. But they called so them thought, the Black Sox. Just okay. Because, I wasn't but, right. sure. Well, I'm now but calling it's all them, good stuff. I'm calling the Astros the Terras from now on because F them. 
What's the last team you've really hated in in pro sports or sports in general, like major sports, like truly hated? Because I, me, finding out that I actually really do hate the Astros made me a little bit like I had to reflect on when's the last time I've hated somebody like this. I got to tell you, it feels good to hate in sports. Sometimes it does. It feels good to just hate it. Agreed. Um, so my question to you guys is, what's the last time you've really hated an organization, a team, a player? More than a player, more than a player, organization or a team. Lou, you got first. All right. Well, I think we can all agree. The New Orleans Saints. Again, huge cheating scandal, whatever you want to call it. Bunch of bullshit is what I call it. I mean, to this day, Sean Payton just makes me cringe. Just looking at that guy. Ugh. Ugh. Dalton, I know you've had... Plenty of words for Sean Payton over the uh, over the couple few months we've been doing this, but uh, I think like generally, generally, be so upset that I would use the word hate, like actual hate. Yeah, one hundred percent, the New Orleans Saints. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, you always got to say, you know, the Packers. Um, you know, I've never really hated the Bears for any reason. I don't really know why. I guess they, I don't know. But uh, and then also for a while there, like the mid late two thousands, maybe early two twenty tens, the Patriots when they were just running that dynasty, I hated looking at Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. I was just I hated him. In twenty seventeen, Philadelphia Eagles fans between the NFC title game and that the Super Bowl where the Vikes lost, and then. The Eagles were in the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. They'd like grease up the light poles in Minneapolis so people weren't going to climb them and tear stuff down. I I still can't get over. They destroyed their own city. They destroyed their own city in like an hour after that Super Bowl. (laughs) Yeah, like I didn't have anything against the Eagles themselves, but the fans, the fans were so bad. It almost crossed the line of like sports hate to like, actual hate as a human i'll never go to the city of philadelphia ever the closest i'll get is watching it's always sunny in philadelphia because of them they threw batteries at kids and old people santa unbelievable yeah santa just just terrible despicable like what about you anybody else well Again, this hate brought up a lot of emotions for me, and I had to do a little bit of self-reflection. And I used to, as a younger man and as a boy, hate teams like the Yankees. I always hated the Yankees. They pissed me off to no end. Uh, Another team that I always used to hate was Alabama football. Just hated Bama football. And my reflection is that I hated those teams because they were good. Like I just, they were always there. It's why a lot of people don't like the Dodgers anymore is because they're just good every year. They have a lot of money, but they're good. Um, Like a lot of people didn't like LeBron's teams because they were good. I stopped liking the Warriors because they were good. And my my growth as a person is that I am no longer going to hate teams because they're good. And I, I, I don't anymore. I respect what Nick Saban's done at Alabama. We haven't heard any cheating scandals with him, I guess. Uh, You can't be mad at them for just being really good, for running a clean program, for recruiting really well, for coaching kids the right way. Like Those teams always play really hard. 
can't hate him for that. Yankees, Dodgers, yes, they have a lot of money. Yes, they can be annoying because you're always looking at them. They're the coastal elites, but they're just good. Like they're not necessarily cheating. A Rod, maybe a different story back then in like the 2010s, that whole thing. Maybe you could hate them then. Um, I hated the Boston Red Sox in 2013 because I was done with them. You know, they'd won too many times in the last X amount of years. Giants didn't like the Giants of baseball, San Francisco, every two years. I don't want to hear about it. But I'm not going to hate you because you're good anymore. I'm just not. So I have to reflect. The only team that I've actually truly hated, I guess, in the past 10, 15 years is the Patriots because of cheaters. Bill Belichick's a cheater. So is Tom Brady. Nobody the, talks the about this they anymore. Do, they got caught. They got caught. Twice. The Jets. The Jets. You're the New England Patriots, and the Jets were just as bad then as they are now. Like, what are you doing? They're addicted to it. They're just addicted to it. So, yeah, beyond the Astros, uh, it's just the Patriots for me. I hate. I can't hate Green Bay because they're good. I can't. I'm just going to dislike them strongly. And Aaron Rodgers and his bug Aaron eyes. Aaron Rodgers is just a terrible person. He's just got bug eyes. So I'm going <laughs> to hate him for it. Get your eyes out of your head. So, yeah, I don't know. This was a weird, weird week for me. Very weird week for me. I had to, I really grew as a person, I think. So maybe thank you, Astros. Snaps to you for the growth. I can just see you meditating yeah. in your room all week. A lot of dark, a couple candles. Love it. Went into lockdown. All right, and then I have a final just college football take. We got in the NCAA a little bit earlier, but I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this. We saw this week, Big Ten football. Iowa was second-rated, second-ranked team in the nation, got stomped by Purdue. I think everyone kind of knew Iowa wasn't at actually home. the best team. At home, by the way. At home. I, I, I think we could, we, everyone kind of knew Iowa probably wasn't the second-best team in the nation. But because of who they had played and, you know, you're just playing Big Ten teams, they climbed the ratings and they were second ranked going into the week. American sports have not embraced the relegation system. I think NCAA football is the perfect place for a relegation system. I think there should be maybe four or five tiers of Division I football teams. And the title... The NCAA championship comes out of that first tier. And then you're in that tier, you only play other tier one teams that season. And the bottom five, 10 teams in that tier drop down to tier two the next season. Best teams from tier two move up into tier one. Think about the past couple decades. How often has the national championship team come from a team where before the season, you're like, wow, I didn't even know they were good. Maybe you can point to like one or maybe two instances. It's always like Georgia, Alabama, Clemson. It's the powers you know going into the season that they're going to be the best teams. And then there's these weird scenarios where like the Big Ten, you just play the Big Ten. You don't know how good anyone is because you're just playing each other. Maybe they're all suck. There's like Coastal Carolina has been in the top 25 for the last year and a half, but they don't play anybody because they're in like the A-10 or something random. Let them work their way up for a couple of years. They get a good squad. Then they're in tier two and they're playing like Minnesota and teams like that for a season. And then, okay, you go 10 and two, nine and three, and you start to actually build a power. Maybe you're actually good. But I think if you put coastal Carolina against some of the bottom half, big 10 teams, they'd get worked or they'd be like a 500 team. I think a relegation system could be super interesting where like 
you know, you, you play whoever they're from all over the country. Like I feel like conferences back in the day you played, your conference was like your geographic area. Now you look at the big 10, it spans basically the whole country. The sec is thrown in teams from all over the place. Like conferences aren't geographic anymore. And they, teams can travel big, big schools have the budget to send a football team anywhere they want. Like you could, you could have tiers of teams from all over the country and playing different teams and then mix it up. You know, some, some years you're going to play teams on the East coast. Cause they happen to be in your tier next year. Maybe Minnesota goes to USC and plays USC. Like you get a lot of interesting stuff. You'd lose the rivalry games potentially, but I think overall it would make for a much better product because then that tier one team, all those tier one games are going to be awesome games. And then you work for your team, your team's in tier four. You're trying to get up to tier three, build that program. You're going to be playing teams around your skill level all season long. Like it just makes for good football games. I think NCAA is a perfect place for a relegation system. That might be the smartest thing ever said on this podcast. Wow. That yeah. was incredible. Wow. Wow. Um, and I, I, I'd like to boost that just based on conference realignment that's probably going to be happening soon anyways, where the SEC is starting to swallow up teams from like the Big 12 and, you know, they just got Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, and then the agreement between the Big 10 and the Pac-12. Like, I think teams are already starting to realize that they're uh, going to need to consolidate into more elite leagues because it is that there's that, like you talked about the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten is the biggest fraud conference of all time. People just continue to say the Big Ten is good, but they're not. Uh, and so teams like Michigan State are in the top ten, and they have literally played zero good games. Or Iowa. <laughs> yeah, Iowa. I mean, I think Iowa's way better than Michigan State. Like, they've actually played a couple of decent games. But, um, yeah, I think that'd be super, super interesting, Dalton. I think it'd be a... a and I, I agree, it is a, it's a prime institution to see this played out in because there already is there's a ton of teams ton of leagues you could keep the names maybe like the big 10 is the second tier or you know the sec as we know is the best you get the acc is the second division or something like that um but it's it's going to be impossible because of the rivalry i don't i don't, I don't see too much teams money over too that. much money so, in those games yeah it's, yeah it's why, you know, Notre Dame will never be in a conference because they have so much money to make on all these separate games. But amazing idea. Amazing it's a fun idea. idea. I would, I, I I would watch that. Yeah. I, and then you still have to get into like, you know, like in soccer in Europe or in like England, they don't have playoffs. So would you still, and this is not important, but would you still have like a playoff in the top tier, like to decide who the best team is? And because you're still going to probably end, unless everybody plays everybody, you're going to end up with these same types of things that we had in like the BCS era, where you have to like decide who's the best team. Um, but yeah, I'm I'd be I'd be here for it because you're already getting it. Like the SEC is just way elite. Like they're just the best conference, so they're the elite conference. They're the one who's capable of sending two teams to the playoff every year. No other team's capable of do, or no other league is capable of doing that. So you're already working towards it. You might as well really embrace it. It'd be sweet. It'd be sick. Cincinnati would be, you know, they'd be moving up, moving on up. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it would be a wild, interesting idea. I would certainly love to watch that. The thing I was thinking about while you were going on was the transfer pool would be nuts. 
Like, imagine you are this, like, stud guy at this. Like, say you're the quarterback at this school that just barely gets relegated. Like, you're the guy as a sophomore, junior, whatever. And then you want to go, like, you still want to make it up to the big leagues or something. Then, like, they'd probably have to put some, some I don't know, guards in place against some of this stuff like they do now. But, man, if they just, imagine just a free-for-all. You could transfer to any school that will take you. Yeah. Imagine how nuts that would be. Think of how persuasive you would have to be as a coach and like how yeah. good you'd have to be at connecting with your players to if you drop out of the top league into the second league and you have like a star quarterback, convincing that player to stay at your team and to work back into the to the top league, like knowing that next year you literally have no chance of winning a national championship. Or like if you're in the third tier, fourth tier, fifth tier, recruiting to a player, like you'll never play for a national championship ever. Like, how do you get that guy to go to your school? If you're, I mean, UCF does it right now. Maybe they, they, try, and like Cincinnati, like there's schools that kind of can not really say, you, you're probably never going to win a national championship just because of the structure and how biased it is towards the Big Ten and the SEC and like the rest of the Power Five in general. But like literally having to say to a kid, you'll never, ever, ever have the opportunity to play for a national championship. If you're here for four years, maybe five. If you're here for five years, maybe you'll have probably one not shot a, as a senior. Probably not a leading recruiting No, technique. but like <laughs> that kid knows that. If you're a fifth-tier right. team, a kid knows that. How do you yeah. get good enough recruits to move up? I think that's wildly interesting. I think the it's only thing I would think about, if anyone could do it, it would be some of these psycho college football coaches. Dude. Like if there's anyone in the world, it would be these guys that would be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see the NCAA, NCAA in charge of all of it, baby. <laughs> I thought it was a fun idea. Love to hear people's thoughts on it. So, you know, tweet at us at Tell Them Sports. Let us know. Think it's kind of a fun idea. Think it's a terrible idea. Love to hear feedback. And I think we'll leave it there this week. The Mini Market Pod. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Tell Them Sports. Leave a rating, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the podcast, and we will see you next week. Peace. Skull. Go Wolves. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.